Welcome to the St. Andrew's Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. You can connect with us online at www.gosaintandrew.com. Our reading today comes from 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus are all a part of the pastoral letters. These differ from other letters ascribed to Paul in that they're addressed to individuals charged with the oversight of a specific faith community. In 1 Timothy, after an opening and greeting, Paul urges the young Timothy to curtail those who teach false doctrines and promote faithful instruction that recognizes the proper role of the law. The letter encourages fervent prayer and especially for those in authority and offers several practical guidelines for leading a body of believers. In chapter three, the letter provides final warnings about the danger of false teachings. In our selection today, we find a transition as Paul offers some positive news. Hear this reading. Comes from, oh, let's see. 1 Timothy 4 and Selections. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will renounce the faith by paying attention to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared with a hot iron. If you put these instructions before the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus nourished in the words of the faith and of the sound teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with profane or foolish tales. Train yourselves in godliness, for while physical training is of some value, godliness is valuable in every way, holding promise for both the present and the life to come. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance. For this For to this end we toil and suffer reproach, because we have set hope, hope we have, sorry, because I haven't been here in two weeks, a little rough, the (laughs) re-entry. For to this end we toil and suffer reproach, because we have set our hope, we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Amen. this 
So, two young sailors on temporary leave from their ship venture out into the streets of a foreign land in search of good food, good conversation, a moment of respite from the toil of their daily lives on the ship. As the night lingers on, the two sailors find themselves completely and utterly lost in this town after several joyous hours, and I'm sure some libation, and they wander into a small tavern to ask for directions. One of the sailors stumbles up to the bar, slaps a guy on the back and says, hey buddy, can you tell me how to get back to the docks from here? Now unbeknownst to this young man, this person is a high-ranking officer in his fleet whom he doesn't recognize. The officer sternly replies, son, do you know who I am? To which the young man replies to his friend, man, we're in trouble now. We don't know where we are, and this guy doesn't even know who he is. <laughs> it's funny. Maybe bad form to start with a joke, I don't know. However, if we're honest, we can all kind of relate to the young sailor's reply. Have you ever felt lost, wondering where you are, where you're going, wondering who you are? I wouldn't be surprised if you feel this way to some degree. The chaos and uncertainty that we have been forced to navigate over the last few years have been unsettling. And to be honest, it left a mark. And as we emerge from the pandemic into a future, we might feel like we're getting off that ski lift in whiteout conditions, right? Snow falling so hard that we lose sight of the mountains around us, leaves us disoriented, a little dizzy, not sure which direction to turn, we feel lost. We want to get back home, or at least something that feels like home. That place where we feel grounded, where we feel secure, where we find our identity through belonging, that place where we feel safe. As Rev. Mark so aptly stated a couple of weeks ago, home is another word for refuge from the harsh, precarious, unpredictable realities of the world. I mean, when you feel like a ship without a rudder, tossed about by the will of wind and sea, you naturally search for something steady to anchor yourself with. In the late 1980s, Futurist Faith Popcorn identified 17 cultural and societal undercurrents whose shifting dimensions reflected the human experience as it evolved um, to define future consumer behavior. One of these undercurrents she called anchoring, anchoring. It involves reaching back to our spiritual roots, taking what was secure from the past in order to be ready for a future, anchoring. 
In the 80s and early 90s, Miss Popcorn noticed a, a yearning for spirituality, uh, th this want to find a more profound meaning and connection to life, and it was surfacing in shocking ways. A, a sophisticated media executive friend took a vow of silence. A former colleague becomes a monk. Everywhere, people flocked into modern ministries which focused on attracting younger congregants with contemporary music and meetups. Increasingly, well-educated urban consumers began to explore things like homeopathy and, and time-honored wellness treatments, massage and sweat lodges. There was a growing respect for the mind and body connection. Suddenly, finding your center, knowing your purpose, connecting to a higher power, all of these things were, were pulling at the consumer more strongly and an appreciation for spiritual beliefs blossomed in this period. These were new, yet old ways to feel grounded in the face of unprecedented anxiety wrought by modern life. As the 90s unfolded, statistics tell us that 69% of Americans believed in angels, and 46% believed they had their own guardian angel. Two-thirds of Americans reported having some sort of mystical experience, and get this, 90% said that religion was important, with a whopping 72% saying that they prayed every single day. 40% believed in faith healings, and whether you believe it or not, Christian bookstores in the 90s reaped on average $3 billion in revenue every year. Mega churches, ugh, these rock star pastors, right, rose in the culture drawing thousands, I mean thousands of people every single Sunday. The anchoring trend, I think, has become ever more deeply entrenched as the pace of life accelerates, as the fabric of society frays, the rise in purpose and brand values echoes this shift as companies seek to establish that they serve the consumer's need to feel good and do good, right, as they seek to fulfill this quest for higher calling. Don't believe me? Think about S.C. Johnson, right? Huge company, right? What's their motto? They frame themselves as a family company, yep, or at least a company for families, right? Campbell Soup, right out of Paris, Texas, by the way. <laughs> they emphasize the good in their mm-mm good slogan, don't they? That tagline's in there to elevate a halo of positivity and caring in his persona. Mm-mm good. <laughs> Finally, I imagine all of us, or at least most of us, can remember the rise of Pastor Rick Warren in Saddleback Church in the late 90s and early 2000s with the advent of his wildly popular book, remember it? The what? Purpose-driven life, you see? When we feel like a ship without a rudder, tossed about by the will of wind and sea, we will naturally search for something steady to anchor ourselves with. And that brings us to our reading from 1 Timothy. First and 2 Timothy, as Rev. Lauren mentioned, and Titus are called pastoral letters to distinguish them from other New Testament letters written to churches rather than individual pastors. They are pastoral in that they counsel any reader, lay or clergy, on how to care for the church. They offer perpetually powerful visions of church and ministry. And while these letters were written to individuals, to leaders, pastoral letters does not mean to be ignored by the laity. They address crucial questions to the health of the laity, the life of prayer, the meaning of public worship, care for the needy and the poor, 
sound teaching as a basis for holy living. And interestingly, they offer a candid glimpse into Christian worship during its formative period in the early years. They struggle with emerging distortions of Christian teaching that I will say linger on even today. Timothy was especially, I have to tell you friends, especially beloved by Paul. Oh, he loved Timothy. The relationship between the two had been formed during Paul's earliest missionary journeys, which you can read about in Acts 13 and 14. Of mixed lineage, Timothy's father was a Greek Gentile. His mother was a pious Jewish Christian woman named Eunice, converted and known by Paul. His grandmother, his Jewish Christian grandmother, Lois, was also converted by Paul. Timothy was well instructed in the Hebrew scriptures from his youth, and when an urgent critical matter arose, he was ready to assist. Timothy frequently served as Paul's envoy, and some scholars think may have even helped him write and deliver some of his letters. Timothy is mentioned in six different letter salutations, six different letter salutations as Paul's associate. It is kind of a silent tribute to Timothy that Paul assigned him so many important and challenging tasks. Paul came to regard Timothy as, quote, his own beloved faithful child in the Lord, he writes, his own son in the faith. I have no one like him, Paul remarked. Timothy's worth, you know, how as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. Commended for his loyalty, he became the Apostle Paul's long-term partner, following Paul's teachings and way of life, even through persecution and suffering, sharing Paul's mission profoundly and helping out whenever and wherever he was needed. In our reading this morning, we find the young Timothy in Ephesus, in Ephesus, where Paul has left him in charge of this budding faith community. And um, things are not going well. They're not going well at all. To be honest, they're going horribly. Really bad, really bad. And, And Paul is concerned. He is concerned for the community. He is concerned for his young preacher. It would seem that there are some people in the community, in the church, that, quote, occupy themselves with myths and endless genealogies that promote speculations rather than divine training that is known by faith, Paul writes. Many have deviated, it seems, from the core teaching that Paul left with them and turned to meaningless talk, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make assertions. I know that doesn't happen today at all, by the way. (laughs) After spilling a lot of ink explaining the various ways to help people overcome all of this nonsensical teaching in the first three chapters, in chapter four, as Rev. Lauren said, we transition, and Paul further explains the urgency of the matter, describing what will happen or what is happening in general. Essentially, he writes, the people are, are blind, yeah, they're lost. They're, they're just sailing without any sense of direction or destination. Now the Spirit expressly says, he writes, that in latter times some will renounce the faith by paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared with a hot 
iron. Oh, I love that, that fish seared with a hot iron. The Greek word here is kosteraizo. Kasteraizo, translated as seared, is a verb. It means to sear. It gives us a clue as to what Paul is meaning here with this word. We derive the English word to cauterize from this Greek word. When we cauterize a wound, what do we do with it? We burn it with a hot instrument to stop the flow of blood, yes? So Paul worries that left unchecked, these false teachings will cauterize, will stifle the Holy Spirit's life-giving creative activity within the minds of believers and the community. In order to counteract this damaging activity within the church, Paul instructs his young preacher to anchor himself, to be nourished, oh, I love this, to be nourished on the words of faith and of the sound teaching that you have followed. Furthermore, Timothy is to remember that despite all the struggles that he may face, he can move forward with confidence because he is anchored in the hope set on the living God Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of all people. Amen? Oh, my goodness gracious. That is a good word. That is a good word to Timothy, and I think it is a good word for us today. Let me ask you again. Have you ever felt lost? Bless you. <laughs> wondering where you're going. Wondering who you are. If any of that is you, let me urge you to lean in to Paul's advice to his beloved young minister. Anchor yourself to the words of faith and of sound teaching. Nourish yourself with scripture. In 2 Timothy, Paul reminds Timothy, all scripture, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. My beloved St. Augustine of Hippo, excuse me, my beloved St. Augustine of Hippo was among the most highly educated bishops of the early church. And Augustine had a deep, deep love an appreciation for classical Greek and Latin literature. Yet even Augustine praised the Holy Scriptures above all other literature as the pinnacle of human knowledge and understanding. Augustine writes in one of his letters, the canon of Scripture has been placed at the summit of authority for our salvation. By imitating its style, a person will be influenced when he or she reads it. Now, beloved, I don't want to brag, but you know what? I read my Bible every single day, without fail, every day. And I hope you will, too. The words remind me of God's awesome and unending love for me, for everyone. When I am afraid, the words assure me that I am never alone. When I am sad, they help me grieve, and they give me joy. When I'm happy, the words give me a ways to express gratitude and praise. Beloved, your Bible can be so much more than just a book. It can be your friend and companion. Just like a good friend too, I think. The more time you spend with it, the better your relationship will be. At the end of the day, I think the scripture is kind of like a meal. It's kind of like dinner. You know, all of the things that we eat and drink 
almost magically. They literally become a part of us, right down to ourselves. Our bodies digest and absorb the things we need to survive and thrive. The stuff that we eat and drink, it literally gives us life. And I think that the words of the Bible can be just like that. When we read them, when we chew on them and wrestle with them and think about them and work to understand them, they can become so deeply ingrained in us that they become every movement, every single thought, every inch of who we are. And when that happens, God's law, God's love is truly written on our hearts. And then we can share that wonderful love with others. Beloved, Anchor yourselves in the holy writings and find there an unending steadfast love that I promise will transform you and others when you share it with them. You know, Socrates was a pretty smart guy, but I think he had it wrong. Personal opinion. It's not the unexamined, but finally the uncommitted life that is not worth living. I think Descartes, too, was mistaken personal opinion. <laughs> Cogito ergo sum, he writes. I think, therefore I am. What? I think, therefore I am? Nonsense. Amo, amo ergo sum. I love, therefore I am. Or as with unconscious eloquence, St. Paul writes, now abide, faith, Hope, love, these three, and the greatest of these is love. The holy writings anchored me, all of us, in that simple truth. Make love your aim, not biblical inerrancy, nor purity, nor obedience to some holiness code. Make love your aim. For though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, uh, musicians, poets, uh, preachers, you're being addressed here. And though I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, um, academics, it's your turn. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, uh, radicals take note. And though I give my body to be burned, the very stuff of heroism, and have not love. It profits me nothing. Beloved, I doubt if any other scriptures of the world you will find a more radical statement of ethics. If we fail in love, hear me now, if we fail in love, we fail in all things else. Beloved, in an otherwise secular society, the church must in fact be a little weird, be different. It must do strange things to provide a strange place where the voice of God can at least be imagined, if not actually heard. We do well when we make outrageous statements about love and forgiveness and do even better when we make the even more outrageous attempt to put these statements into practice in our daily lives. Paul tells young Timothy to ground himself in that and he also tells him to ground himself in hope. In 1 Peter, we find these familiar words. In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, friends, notice what he says here. He does not say give a reason for the good things that you do. He does not say give a good reason for the things that you say. Heck, he doesn't even say give a good reason for the rules that you follow. 
Hello. Rather, he tells his readers to give a reason for the hope that they have within them. And that is, that is what we are if we are nothing else. We are a people of hope. One Methodist minister I know explained hope this way. Hope is not about today. It is about the tomorrows as yet born. Hope is not about me or any of the me's out there. Hope is about believing in that which is beyond me, that which is greater than me. It is a vision of hope that keeps all this going, really, that keeps us going day in and day out, a hope that rests in the absolute assurance, and I mean the absolute assurance that God is there and that God is with you, to know down to your bones that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That is the kind of hope that drove the prophets to keep going regardless of circumstance or outcome. It is a hope revealed by God through the prophet Isaiah when he wrote these powerful words of assurance. Oh, I love these. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That is a hope, friends, a hope found in the everlasting love of a Savior who through his death and resurrection has passed on to each one of us the perfect gift of salvation and forgiveness. Heck, that's our song. That's our song. It is a hope that is indeed what? A blessed assurance. You know the words. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching, waiting, looking above. Filled with his goodness. Lost in his love. You know the words. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Finally, as we move into the future, let us move into that space together. Anchor yourselves in each other. Beloved, each one of you, every single one of you in this room and online, is truly a marvel and a wonder. I think we have a tendency to diminish or at least overlook the blessing of fellowship all around us. My beloved St. Augustine once again once wrote to a young bishop in a letter, men go abroad to wonder at the heights of mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motions of the stars, and they pass by themselves without ever wondering. Look around you. Go ahead. Look around. Turn to those on your left, your right, those in front, those behind you. I would submit to you that in this moment, God's wonder surrounds you. Each one of you. Each person you meet, if you will be open to receive it, brings to you a unique gift. Your life, the vitality of this space, beloved, is something more with every single soul that walks in here. And that is why when I stand up here every Sunday and tell you that your presence is a gift that we treasure, 
Beloved, you can believe that I mean it. Every encounter is really a wow moment. You don't talk about a wow moment. Every encounter. Anne Lamont describes a wow moment this way. The words wow and awe are the same height and width, all W's and short vowels. They could dance together. Even when maybe especially we don't cooperate, this energy, the, the breath, the glory, the goodness of God is, is given. Gorgeous, amazing things come into our lives when we are paying attention, she writes. This happens more often when we have as little expectation as possible. If you say, well, that's pretty much what I thought I'd see, you're in trouble. Astonishing material and revelation appear in our lives all the time. Let it be, unto us much is given. We just have to be open for business. Let me ask you one final time. Have you ever felt lost? Wondering where you are? Wondering where you're going? Wondering who you are? In the words of Paul, be nourished on the words of faith and of sound teaching. Anchor yourselves in an unwavering hope and anchor yourselves, beloved, in each other. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. And if you'd like more information, go to www.gosaintandrew.com. See you next week.